morning to you once again. So glad to have you here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us, to worship God with us, and uh, just thanks for, thanks for being here. It wouldn't be the same without you. It'd be kind of lonely. Um, before I begin, I just um, want to reiterate something Barry mentioned about the outreach. Um, for you guys that were involved in our outreach on Wednesday, I want to just say thank you so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, um, that that uh, event could not have happened without your help. We had an incredible amount of people, volunteers from our church that, that, that showed up, that helped, that anywhere from setting up to cooking to playing games and interacting with people and talking with people and uh, it was just a great, great night. We had a lot of visitors come over and, uh, and, and, and spend some time with us that evening. But again, I, I just want to say thank you for those who helped out with that. It was just so awesome to have you there. And that sea of green shirts was just so cool to uh, just see people talking to people, engaging people. And this is, this is my heart to become a, a church that, that reaches to our community with the love of Jesus. And I just want to say thank you guys for modeling that and doing that on Wednesday night. And so uh, I want to give a hand for those who uh, helped out with that. And um, it, really, it really is something I believe that is on the heart of God because, you know, we, we see the numbers, and you guys have heard me quote some of the numbers, and I don't have to go through all that again, that, uh, you know, on a, on a large scale, people are not running into the church. Um, you know, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about that this morning, um, but, you know, a lot of people aren't running into the church, but, so we have to begin to build those bridges and go out there and be the church out there. And so, um, again, thank you for, for being involved with that, showing the love of Jesus. And um, I heard several comments of people that uh, they were kind of surprised that it was free. You know, we were just serving food, and they were kind of surprised that why would you do this? And somebody was even trying to write us a check, and uh, we refused it, and uh, it was just fun to do that. So again, thank you guys. Bless you. Well, let's pray, and we're going to get right into this. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are alive, that you are on the throne of heaven, that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses on the earth, that you are building the kingdom of God here on the earth. And Lord, we just say thank you for the privilege of being partnered with the Son of God in the mission of the kingdom. Lord, what an awesome privilege that is. And Lord, again, I just thank you that you, your love is so great. Thank you that you love each person in here. And Lord, the Bible even says that you, you are intimately acquainted with every single one of us, that you know the number of hairs that are on our head. And that's how well you know us. That's how much you love us. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your great love. Lord, we receive your love, and I pray, God, that we would be carriers of your love, Lord, to the, to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, this week is a continuation of last week. I'm going to kind of go into a couple of different directions. Um, you got, like the topic, Commission to Reach, part two, so the sequel. You know, I, there was nothing really clever, but we're going to really focus in on what it means to be ambassadors of Christ. 
Um, I read a couple of passages last week from 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. Um, and, and again, I, I encourage you to, to, to look at those passages, dig in those passages, um, ask the Lord what He's speaking to your heart through those passages. Um, Jesus gave us the Great Commission when, when He left the earth. We are familiar with that, most of us. A lot of us have maybe memorized that, where Jesus is about to ascend, and He gives the commission to the church and to His followers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, before, you know, and, and, uh, that he ascended, he had told them, I'm going to, you know, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses, and that you're going to tell people about me everywhere you go. And so we have this commissioning of Jesus, and we talked about what it means to be commissioned. It's a directive. It is an order given to us or given to a person. The definition commission means to give a directive of, or an order from up top that is supposed to be carried out by those who have received this order. And as we look at the commissioning of Jesus, in these passages that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, the reason why I chose these, these passages is he really frameworks, I believe, especially to the, 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 the church of Corinth, and, and again, it's not just the church of Corinth, it's to us, about who we are created to be and, and framing that commission of how we walk it out. I'm not going to read both of those texts in length again. I read those last week. Again, you can look those up. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. And 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 2, I think. Or yeah, 2, 14 through 17. Sorry about that. A little, I'm looking at the other one. So 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17 talks about that we, uh, we become a Christ-like fragrance to the world, that, we, that we, ha we should have, and we, our hearts should be to have the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. I'm going to focus in today on 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, and that'll pop up here. And it says this, and we are, we are, um, we are familiar with that first one. A lot of us have, have memorized that one. Anyone who belongs to Christ or he that is in Christ is a new creation or becomes a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's what we have in Jesus, a new life. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So how does Jesus accomplish his mission in and through us? It is through our lives. He has given us and he makes his appeal through us. We are all called to do ministry together. And he makes his appeal through each of us and through our lives. What does it mean to be an ambassador. Got a definition for you up here. You can go to the next slide. What does it mean? You can keep going. Yeah, it's an authorized, simply an authorized messenger or representative. That, that, that key word is authorized. We, we have authority in Christ. Just like the commission, when, when, when we are given a commission, it is a directive and order, and it's, it's delegated authority to us. 
So when you commission someone to do something, I talked about the military a little bit last week, when, when you're commissioned to do a mission, you have a directive, you have an order, and it is delegated authority to you to carry out the mission. So we walk, as believers, we walk in the authority of Christ to accomplish His mission. That's why we need to be very careful that we don't walk on our own authority. It's not our authority, it is His delegated authority as believers, and He makes His plea through us. And so as an ambassador, we are authorized with authority from Christ, a representative or messenger. Literally going on behalf of another with their agenda, not our own. Speaking their words, not ours. So what does it mean to be commissioned as an ambassador of Christ? It is going on behalf of Jesus to others with His agenda, His mission, and his vision, and not our own. It's speaking his words, not ours. I'm going to say that again. What does it mean to be commissioned as an ambassador of Christ, going on behalf of Jesus to others with his agenda, his mission, and his vision, and not our own? Speaking his words, not ours. How do we become ambassadors of Christ? How do we accomplish his mission and, and, and become his authorized representative to the world. Number one, it's intimacy with him. It's knowing him ourselves. It's prayer. It's reading the word of God. It's finding out who he is. It's knowing his heart. Spending time with him is absolutely essential. See, an ambassador is thoroughly acquainted with the leader. They can't just have a generic knowledge of the leader and then think that they're going to speak on their behalf. They have to be thoroughly acquainted with the leader before they go. And so we need to be thoroughly acquainted with Jesus more and more in relationship with Him to be able to be His representatives to the earth. And we have to model, uh, we have to take his life as a model and follow that out. Look at, look at Jesus through the word of God. Look at his life through the word of God. I encourage you again, read the gospels. Read the gospels and get to know the life of Jesus. If we are his representatives, if we are his authorized representatives to the world, we need to get to know him intimately and be intimately acquainted with him then our life is transformed, then the life of Christ is in us and through us because if you look at that, and we, we don't have to go back, but that passage says that we are in, in Christ, we're new creations. We are a new being. And His life is manifested in us and through us. And so His life is in us. The Spirit is in us that controls us to compels us to be His messenger. But we cannot be His authorized representatives if we don't know Him that well. How well do we know him to be his ambassadors? But when we look at him, we fix our eyes on him and our hearts on him. We'll get to know also how he sees others, how he dealt with people. When you come into contact with someone, 
and you've been walking with Jesus. That's why it's so important. It begins in our own uh, private time within our private devotion, the secret place, that relationship with Him, which is so rich, so beautiful. Then when you come in contact with people, you don't have to worry about the words to say or worry about you know, how to reach out to them. God will give you the words to say because you'll have Jesus' heart for them. You'll see them with his eyes. But as we look at his life through the Gospels and, and we, we see him live, what, what, what does the Gospels reveal about him? What does it reveal about his heart, how he dealt with people? What was his focus? What was his emphasis as he talked with people, as he ministered to people? Sometimes we, we like to study his words and we miss his heart. Sometimes we see his miracles and we focus on that, but we miss his heart. Sometimes we see him through the lens of what others have said about him, or we see him through the lens of Christmas, that he was born Easter, he died and rose again. Those are huge, important things to our faith. But how he ministered, one of the reasons why he walked up on the earth was to be our model of how we should live life. And how we should deal with people. That is why Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ. We are his messengers. We, we, we need to treat people like he treated people. We need to focus on the things that he focused on. But how did he live? What do the Gospels say about him? And, and more than just seeing what he did like as far as miracles or just his words, who he was, how he interacted with people. And we're going to look at some of those this morning. But as we get more of a revelation of who he is, we gain an understanding of what it means to be his representative, his ambassadors. I'm going to look at three things today that we are ambassadors of Christ. And I'm going to list three things that we are not ambassadors of. But this is going to be a challenge to us as the church. And so we can go to the next slide. We can go to that, actually the first point. But I'm going to challenge us as the church this morning that we begin to, 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 to see things in a different spirit. And we're going to see things through the lens of Jesus, hopefully. And it's going to challenge us and it's going, to, it's going to challenge us to really be his ambassadors. So the first thing is we are ambassadors of Christ, not ambassadors of behavior modification. But don't we think we are sometimes? Let's just look at the life of Jesus as we spend a few minutes on this point. Jesus wasn't offended by the people in the world. Their behavior did not repulse him. In fact, if you look at what offended Jesus the most, now let's look at the, we're talking about the Gospels, how he did things. We're not, I'm not manufacturing anything. You can look at the Gospels for yourself. What offended Jesus the most was the religious spirit. He dealt with the Pharisees very, very harshly. It wasn't a gentle, loving thing, that him, but it was a loving rebuke. And sometimes Jesus would lovingly rebuke people. And we, have to, we sometimes miss that Jesus is love and peace, yes, but He is also has fire in His eyes, and He is... He is after the hearts of, of His people. And so when He looked at the religious, not the world, 
These are church people. The Pharisees were church people. These are the people that came to the temple. These are people that knew the law. And he looked at them and he said, you're a brood of snakes. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? He said, you guys, here's what you do. You clean the outside of the cup. And you, do, you, you really, really work hard on cleaning the outside of the cup. In other words, your outward appearance. You look snazzy. You have all the right dress. You say all the right things. You can quote things. You, can, you, you, just, you know the routine, except this, inside you're dead. Because you have mastered the art of religion. And you've missed the heartbeat of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The religious were offended with people. They, they would go in, they, they saw Jesus going into one of the parties of, of lost people. There's Matthew before he becomes a, a disciple and there's lost people all around in Matthew's home. These are vile sinners. I mean, the religious even said that. Your, your teacher, they say to the disciples, your teacher hangs out with vile sinners. He goes to their parties and it says, Jesus, knowing what they th were thinking, says to them, what do you guys think? Basically, this is my translation. What do you guys think that I was sent for? Healthy people don't need a doctor. The sick do. I, I, I've, I've, called, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to set captives free. This is why I came. And they were repulsed by the activity of what was going on of lost people. Because they thought the, the way you become holy is you do outward conformity and you modify people's behavior. You're icky, stop being icky now. And Jesus said, no, that is not the right thing. That is not the right way. You're dealing with things in a wrong way. Even, even in, in Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we have stopped evaluating people from a human point of view. And so the religious had begun to do that. They had cleaned the outside of the cup, and the inside was filled with greed and self-indulgence. And Jesus calls them out. And he's passionately calling them out and says, stop being so religious. Stop living for yourself. And get your eyes on what really matters. And be cleansed from the inside out. As his ambassadors, if we look at his life, we have to stop being offended by the world and their behavior. When they act in a way that is contrary to how we act or the way we think they should act, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. You know, we hear language that we don't like. And I'm not saying we have to like it. We see behavior that the world's doing. It repulses us. And we begin to treat them with a, like, almost like that we're just repulsed by them. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. Stop being offended by the world's behavior. We're not called to be ambassadors of behavior modification. We're called as ambassadors of Christ. They need Him. They don't need their behavior modified. We got it backwards. We say, stop doing this and come to Christ. When Jesus says, come to Christ, let me transform you the inside out and that you know that, uh, that I love you intensely and all of a sudden, you will become a new person. And your old ways will go away and the new will, life will become in you. 
And we have to stop, we have to go from that, you know, stop doing what you're doing and come to Christ and say, come to Christ and allow him to help you stop what you're doing out of love. Preach it, brother. You know it's bad when you've got to amen yourself. If you're challenged, welcome to the club, because I'm challenged too. You know, I read this stuff, and I'm like, my goodness, we, we, we've gotten this backwards. Jesus, help us. We have to get over their behavior, and we have to love them with his love. We need to stop at the act, thinking that they're supposed to act like Christians. Amen? When you're around them, stop being offended by them. Show them Jesus. The greatest accusations against Jesus, you're a friend of sinners, you hang out with scum, the scum of the earth, that's one place in the Bible, and Jesus says, thank you, that's a compliment. That's exactly what I was called to do. And as his ambassadors, where should we find ourselves? What should be our focus? He went to where they were. He went on their turf. Now again, he didn't compromise. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about that we let our behavior go. I'm saying we model his life in us. We model the transformed life. Notice that when Jesus went into these situations, he controlled the spiritual atmosphere everywhere he went. People were drawn to him. Not because he would partake of what they were partaking of, but they, they felt genuine, authentic love from him, pouring out from, to them. And so that's what the way we have to be, is we have to have his spirit control us, and we need to dictate the spiritual atmosphere and not be dictated by the world's atmosphere. And so with this, I'm not talking about that we throw holy behavior out the door. Not at all. But we, can't, we cannot think that we're going to reach people if we're trying to modify their behavior. We need to show them Jesus Christ. And the, the thing that you saw in him is he valued relationship with people. He valued people. Over and over, he valued people. So set the standard by how we live. It does matter with our behavior, but let's be the model. And the story that I go to, and I'm not going to read these stories, and you're, most of you are familiar with these stories. But the reason why we're given these stories in, in Scripture is so that we can see the life of Jesus and how He did things and how He dealt with people in the Gospels. And so if Paul's saying be an ambassador of Christ, and we think, okay, what does that mean? Look at his life. Get to know him, how he dealt with people. Have that life transform our hearts to be like him to the world. And that's why a lot of his encounters, I mean, you have some people that, that, that we, were given their names, but a lot of them, we don't have their names. And you see his love for them, and, and I've said this before, but you know, we know that Jesus, in his power and the authority of the Father, he could have... He could have gone and just kind of gotten a massive crowd and just waved his hand and, and changed them from the inside out at a moment. He could have done that, but he chose not to. 
because he, wa- he, he wanted to be involved in people's life in a transformational process. And he wants us to be involved in their lives too. And so when we look at him and, his, and the way he dealt with people, and, and the book of John says this, he says, the book of John says, if, there, if we wrote everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books on the earth to contain it. And so, you know, this, these, these four gospels that we have of the life of Christ are powerful. And when we see his heart, the way he felt for people, more than just what he did, but how he felt for people, loving them, we need to glean from these and say, what was his focus? The first one, when we talk about behavior modification, is John chapter 8. It's a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in the very act of adultery by the religious, interestingly enough. Now, we know that adultery is sin. The Bible says it's sin. Back in those days, it was a capital offense, sin. Um, The law of Moses says that a person caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. So they catch this woman in the act of adultery. We have no idea what is happening um, with what they were doing. It's interesting that they caught her in the act of adultery, and uh, I'm I'm not sure where the sin of them peeking in on her was uh, part of this story, but they had to catch her in the act. And the Bible says they caught her in the act. They drag her out. Their intent was to trap Jesus, so they throw her down, and they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we stone her to death. What do you think we should do? What do you say that we should do? And, and the Bible says that they were trying to trap him. They were constantly trying to snare him. But you know, after a few times, you'd think that they would get a clue because they never could do it. And I love Jesus. And you know, He's got this woman here. This is a real, and I'm talking about not, not just a story you've heard hundreds of times. I want you to get the heartbeat of what's going on in this story. Jesus got this lady laying in the, on, the, on the dirt there, and she is just, you know, she is condemned. She's guilty. She has really nothing to say for herself. And these religious people are standing around with stones in hand ready. It says Jesus bent down, and he begins to write something in the dirt that we'll never, ever know of what he was writing. One one scholar said, I wonder if he was writing their sins. It's an interesting thought. Maybe looking at one of them and writing, you know, like greed. So your greed's less, uh, you know, less wrong than her? What about you, brother, that has a lust problem um, that you're dealing with? And her sin's more outward, but is your sin less offensive? So he's just writing, we don't have a clue, so don't, don't take that as theology and go, hey, we know what Jesus was writing now. I don't know that, so I just think that's an interesting thought. And then he writes something, he stands up and he goes, um, all right, here's what I say. Those of you without sin, that's why I think maybe he was writing, those of you without sin, you, you, you're sinless. You, you don't sin anymore, you don't have a sin nature. You guys throw the first stones at her. Go right ahead. And these boys were convicted. And it says they dropped their stones and they left and they walked away. They had nothing to say. Except I'm wondering if they're walking off, I told you we should have done that. He gets us every single time that we try to do that. I think that's what they said. 
Then he's left alone with this woman. And here's Jesus sent from the Father who has all authority. He has every right to stone her to death. He, had, he, is, he is without sin. In fact, it's her sin, her sin, my sin, your sin, that nailed him to the cross. So she is guilty of the crucifixion of Christ, as we all are, because he was going to take that sin upon himself. He just looks at her and he says, where, where are your condemners? And you can just see her probably just broken, and she said, they're, they're not here. He says, I, I do not condemn you either, but go and sin no more. Notice what Jesus did not do. He did not try to modify her behavior. He did not give her 10 reasons why it's wrong to be an adulterer. He didn't. He encountered her life. He loved her. And he set her free. Now, did he condone what she was doing? Absolutely not. I mean, he even says at the end, go and sin no more. But before he says that, he says, I don't condemn you. And what was he saying? He's saying, go and sin no more. You need to, ma'am, you need to stop what you're doing because you're going to condemn yourself. But you need to know that I love you. I don't condemn you. And if you will get that, you will walk in the greatest freedom that you've ever known. We see this woman that we have no name for her that leaves that moment. I, I, I imagine that her life was absolutely changed with that encounter with Jesus. We have Zacchaeus from Luke 19, and everybody knows the wee little man. I've talked about him before. But he's a chief tax collector. He was very corrupt. He was wicked. He was gaining money by you know, evil methods, taking advantage of people. Back in those days, you know, they, they could basically go to your house and, and, and demand whatever tax they wanted, and by law you had to pay them, and take, he took a little extra, you know, if it was this much, he would say, well, it's a little more than that, and he would pocket some. I mean, this guy was corrupt. But he's very interested about Jesus, and we see him, you know, he's a short man of stature, he runs, he gets in the sycamore tree as Jesus is walking by. Jesus does not stop and say, I am now going to preach a message about thievery. Because there's a guy hanging in a branch over me that needs to hear this right now. <laughs> he stops and he calls him by name, Zacchaeus, which is very cool because God knows you by name. And here's the weirdest salvation message I've ever heard in my life. Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house for dinner today. He invites himself over to this guy's house for dinner and the guy gets saved. Does that confuse you as much as it confuses me? He simply valued this guy, knew him by name. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, they go over to his house, and he's sitting at the table and Zacchaeus is just undone by all that I can imagine is this wave of love from Jesus. I'm going to go and I'm going to make right, I'm going to make amends of all the things that I've done. I'm going to pay back people. I'm going to give to the poor. And Jesus said, man, salvation has entered this house today. He didn't get a lecture. He didn't get, you know, 
a, a sermon on thievery. He just simply was overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. And it changed this guy's life. So as, as Christ's ambassadors, we, we must be like him in that we look beyond people's faults and we see their need for him. I know that's a cliche, but it's true. Once we get over being offended with their behavior, we need to look into their hearts and we need to see their need of him. A lot of times an outward manifestation of, of behavior that we don't like, it's only a revelation of a desperate cry for help. It's a deep thirst of the soul. And guess what? We, we will never know this if we're not among them. We cannot just sit in here each week and, 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 and remove ourselves from being contacted with people in the world and think that we're going to get a heart for people that need Jesus. We need to be with him and them. Him and them. And if you're never around them, if you're never engaged with them, if you're never talking with them, it's hard to get the, the heart of Jesus for them. And that's, again, that's where Jesus found them. And we have to, as far as when we talk about behavior modification, here's a newsflash. We aren't the Holy Spirit. Everybody can take a deep sigh of relief. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. It's not our job to convict them. Our job is to live it, have Christ live through us, let him, them see his life in us. Number two, we are ambassadors of Christ, not ambassadors of doctrine. Before you pick up your stones to throw at me, what do I mean by this? Am I against doctrine? Absolutely not. The Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves a proof, a want a passage, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know doctrine. We need to, we need to have good doctrine. We need to live by good theology, and we need to know the word of God. But we're not ambassadors. Paul didn't say that be ambassadors of doctrine. He said be ambassadors of Christ. We need to live by sound doctrine. Again, that we find in the word of God. The greatest way to know doctrine is to know him again. Not just doctrine about him. It's, it's like trying to speak on someone's behalf that you don't know, but you have some knowledge of their writings. And so we can, we can say stuff about Jesus, but do we really know Jesus? You know, some of the greatest atheists in the world know the scriptures better than you and me. That's the truth. They have large portions of Scripture memorized, and in debates, they will quote Scripture like this, and they don't believe in God. And they will just, they know the word, this word, and they know how to say this thing. Just because they have knowledge, just because they have uh, head knowledge does not mean they have heart transformation. So they, they can actually speak, and it would be, be correct doctrine, but they've not been transformed in their hearts. And so we have to know more, we need to know him. The greatest way to know the doctrine of Jesus and the doctrine of, of theology and knowing the word of God is to know him, have the word in us, let it transform us and be his ambassadors to the world again. 
And so just because you can quote a few things, just because you can say things about a person, doesn't mean that make you an ambassador of them. Do you know the leader? Again, we must know him, we must love him, we must trust him, we must surrender to him daily, worship him, and then his life is lived in and through us. That's the way we learn doctrine. James says even the demons believe in God and tremble. You see our sign back there, and I've said this before, but people do not care what we know until they know that we care. You can have all kinds of things memorized, and you can just kind of throw at them knowledge, and you can just, but if, you, if, if they don't sense that you care about them, they're going to turn you off, and they're, they don't, they're not going to listen to anything that you have to say. Another one of these encounters is the Samaritan woman found in John chapter 4 that we see Jesus in the Gospels. He had told his disciples, he said, I must go through Samaria. And, and, and I love that because the only indication that I get is that he must go through Samaria is that he needed to have this encounter with this woman. And again, I'm not going to read it, but most of you are familiar with this passage that Jesus comes up to a well. It's in the middle of the day. It's probably a time when they didn't normally draw water. It was a woman that was greatly under shame. She had been married five times, and she, the current guy that she was living with wasn't married to him. So we have... We have failed marriages. We have her being uh, in a fornicating lifestyle. I mean, she is in bad shape spiritually. And again, you throw on top of that the culture of the day. Number one, she was a woman. Jesus was a man. Back in that culture, that was looked down upon. Thank God that, that has changed in culture. But she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans were seen as subclass human beings. So she's a woman. She's a Samaritan. And then she had this reputation. And so she was probably you know, out there again in a time where, of the day where they didn't draw water because she probably did not want to be around the gossiping, the laughing, the, the looks. And so she was out there by herself drawing water out of the well. And here comes Jesus. And he encounters this woman and he begins to talk to her. She draws water and he said, you know what, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. Of course, she has no earthly clue what he's talking about at first. Well, give it to me and I'll never have to come to this well again. I mean, that sounds like, like superhero water. You, know, you drink that and you're never thirsty again. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, ladies, I'm talking about the thirst in your soul. And so they have this conversation even about worship. And then Jesus goes right into the heart of the matter and he says this. He just simply says, go get your husband. And she said, I'm not married. And he said, I know that. In fact, you've been married five times to the guy that you're living with now you're not married to. And she says, wow, you must be a prophet. Good answer. And so he's here with this woman. Again, just look at this scene, what Jesus is not saying to her. You filthy woman, if you only knew the problems that you're causing, and you are a homewrecker, you are causing issues, I cannot even believe that you're living this kind of life. 
We don't hear that from him. He reaches out to her and he offers his life in her. He said that this will be river, a river of living water and you'll never thirst again because, lady, you are so thirsty and your, your soul is so thirsty for something. And I'm telling you right now, I've got what you need. And as ambassadors of Christ, we have, if we have him in us, we have what they need. And it's not a lecture. In fact, Jesus shuts out everything else to love this woman and give her the drink of living water. He saw the thirst of her soul. His focus wasn't on her lifestyle, but her great need of him. And so she knew that he cared for her as a human being, first and foremost. And it's very interesting that she says, well, you know, the Messiah is supposed to come from, and they're talking about the Messiah, and he says to her, I tell you this, the truth, lady, I, the one you're talking to, I am the Messiah. He reveals himself as the Messiah to this broken woman. And her life is turned upside down. She runs and gets all the people in the town. She said, you've got to come out here and listen to this guy. He has told me all about my life. And they're probably thinking, you know, we know all about you. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm a walking testimony now. My life, my life will never be the same. And we see her transformed. And we need to focus in on what he did not say. And we need to glean from that and learn from that. People want to know if we genuinely love them right where they are. Before they will ever care about the knowledge that we have. They will want to know who we know, not what we know. When Peter says this, be ready to give the answer for the hope that's in you, Jesus is the hope that's within us. And people want to know, who do you know? I mean, there's something different about you. If you've ever had that said to you, that's one of the greatest compliments that you can receive. What's different about you? There's something different about you. And you have the opportunity to speak life into someone and speak the love of God. But they want to know, do you love me? Do you genuinely love me? And then let me ask you this. When you engage people and you build relationship, what if they never change? Because that's a very important question. That we, do, you, do you just cut off relationship with them? Oh, well, I tried. Sorry. Or do you still love them? Because... If you stop loving them, if you cut off from them, they were nothing more than just a project that you had. Jesus wants to know, will we continue to love them? Being his ambassador means that we point people to him, not to ourselves, not to our knowledge, not to even our own experiences. We point them to him. It's not about us. It's about his transformational power at work within us. And through our love relationship with him, we reconcile people to God. And that's what Paul says, reconcile people back to God. And be a Christ fragrance to the world. But we've got to meet them right where they're at. We have to love them. We have to point them to him. Which leads me to the last point. We are ambassadors of Christ, not ambassadors of the church. Verse 
That might seem like, whoa, what, what are, now what are you talking about? We are ambassadors of Christ, not ambassadors of the church. Our job isn't just to invite people to church, but invite people to know Jesus. Be the church to them. A lot of people feel like that they're inadequate or you need to have the pastor talk to you because I don't really... No, you have the transformational power of Jesus Christ in your heart. You can talk to people about Jesus. He's called you to partnership with himself. See, because people aren't impressed with the church. There's more unchurched people in our nation than ever before in history. But there's also a search for authenticity like never before. And here's the top two things according to some, you know, some of the studies that, that Barna has done. He said, people, what they're looking for in spiritual relationships is relevance and authenticity. Relevance and authenticity. Do you, relevance is, do you, will you speak into my world? Does Jesus have something for my world, what I'm going through, the life that I'm living is he relevant to me? Because most people that don't go to church is the church is not relevant in any way, shape, or form to me. They are disconnected completely from me. We have to pay attention of why people are saying that. He said they're not relevant to me anymore. They don't, they're, not, they're not even in my world. They don't even, they don't even get my world. They're speaking, they're speaking a language from years ago. But then authenticity, and that's genuineness. That's that relational thing. That's love. Authenticity, being real, being transparent, being vulnerable. So people are looking for a place that, that people are real and transparent. Some of the offense at Christ and Christianity in the world has been the church's fault, and we need to understand that. We need to repent for that. Again, that's when Paul says we have to stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ from a human point of view. We need to repent for that. Some of the things that have been done and said in the name of Christ and Christianity are shameful. And they don't have the heart and the mind of Christ. And they don't follow Him in the example of the Gospels. And what is our response to that? Is repentance and saying, Jesus, we want to have your life. Forgive us. We want to turn and go a different way. The church has become more known for what it is against than what it's for. I want to change that trend here. Let's be known. Let's be a people that we are known for what we are for instead of what we are against because we need to understand our battle isn't against people. Our battle is not against the world. What are we for? Now, as a church, now again, I'm, I'm not talking about we should not embrace holiness. We should. But are we against lying? Yes, but instead of screaming, stop lying or you're going to go to hell. We need to live the truth. We need to be for the truth. We need to exalt the truth. We need to live out the truth daily in our own lives. If you want to be against lying, be for the truth and live the truth. Speak the truth. Tell the truth. And it's easy to say that I don't like lying, but how do we live out the truth on a day-to-day -day basis? 
as ambassadors, do we live the truth? We have these hot-button issues in our world today, and I want to talk very plainly and openly about this, but, you know, the church said we are against sexual immorality. We're against it. But let's be for holy sexuality. Let's model it. Our battle isn't against the sexually immoral of the world. The church is not fighting against the homosexual community in spite of what people might say or think. We might speak out against things, but how are we living it in our own personal lives? Do we live out holy sexuality in our own lives? We need to be for holy sexuality and and, and living out why we believe that. Because we're saying, you know, well, we we don't like sexual morality and we don't like homosexuality, but what are we looking at on the computer and the TV in our own homes? Where's our thought life in our own homes? Because we have to allow the Holy Spirit to touch us and convict us as the church. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of God. Paul even made a differentiation in 1 Corinthians when he's saying, you know, you got a sin issue in the church and the church needs to deal with that. He said, but I'm not telling you to do that to the world. He said, the Holy Spirit will deal with the world. They will, he will draw people. And you have a different standard here. So instead of raising up a banner of what we're against, let's say, are we living it out here? And if my thought life is a wreck and I have lustful issues in my own heart that maybe aren't outward, maybe a lot of people can't see and I can keep it hidden, does it make it any more right than someone doing things outwardly? So instead of being against sexual immorality, let's be for holy sexuality. Let's be known for people that we are for instead of what we are against. We need to battle anger. Are we against anger? Well, be kind. Are we against gossip and slander? Absolutely. And so battle it with being an encourager. Battle tearing down with building up. Battle hate with the love of Christ. Do we look like Jesus? Do we smell like Jesus as a Christ fragrance to the world? Do we act like Jesus? That is a challenge to all of us. How do we live for Him? Let's be a people that are known for what we are for. Because this Word of God has transformational power through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to help us to live the life that we are called to live. And then all of a sudden, when we're living it and people see authenticity in us, and I'm not saying that we're, you know, the only way we're effective is to be perfect. No, in fact, you can speak volumes with repentance when you blow it. And this, this, this word can change us. It is powerful. It is alive. And yes, it has a lot to say about those things. In Galatians, it says flee sexual immorality. But who's Paul talking to there? He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's saying to the church, flee sexual immorality. Then the world's going to see holy sexuality in your life. They're going to see sexual morality lived out. And then they're going to want to know what you have because you're modeling it. And you have Jesus in you. And you smell like Jesus. And you look like Jesus. 
As ambassadors of Christ, our hearts should be re- to reveal Him in and through our lives. To be His messengers in word and deed and actions. To love people right where they're at. And to begin to ask this question of ourselves, how did Jesus live? What was His message? What was His life? Get to know Him. Get to know Him in the secret place through the Word of God, the reading of the Word, studying, meditating. Not just, not just reading about Him just to have information, but to say, show me who you are and help me to be like you. Because as we get to know Him more and more and, we, and His life transforms, we're going to revolutionize our world for Him. I want to close with this passage that I had last week from 1 Corinthians 10. And it goes right into 1 Corinthians 11. But he says this, I true, I, I true, 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 sorry. I too try to please everyone in everything that I do. I don't just do what is best for me, I do what is best for others so that many might be saved. And then he says this, and you should imitate me or follow me as I imitate Christ. Can we say that of ourselves? Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what Paul is saying there. Is he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because he's the one I want to be like. He's the one I'm striving to be close to. And then if you follow that example, you'll, you'll get to know him. And that is what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Let's go out and let's change the world for his glory. And let's live it every single day. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we just say how much we love you. How awesome you really are. Lord, I pray today, God, that we would be your ambassadors that we would be your representatives to this world that so desperately needs you. Lord, there are so many around us and we see them every day. Hurting, lost, thirsty. Lord, like Jesus, when you came to that woman at the well, you saw her thirst and we see people around us that are so thirsty for you. And you simply offered that lady yourself as living water. Lord, I pray that we would have the heartbeat of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, that we would be in your, your ambassadors to reach the world. Lord, I pray that we would know you more. I pray, God, that you would give us a, an insatiable desire for, for prayer and for the reading of your word, to know you, to worship you in the secret place every day. And Lord, to get to know you so that our lives can be transformed to be your messenger. Lord, forgive us where we've tried to modify people's behavior. Lord, forgive us when we've just tried to raise up doctrine without love and we've just raised up doctrine like the, like the Pharisees, like the religious, and we've tried to just shove that on people. And Lord, it, as much as we try, it doesn't work. And Lord, forgive us sometimes when we are simply ambassadors of, of the church instead of you. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are known for what we're for instead of just being what we're against. And that, Lord, we would examine our own hearts and live out the life that you have called us to live each and every day. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and help us to be your church. In Jesus' name, amen.